You're listening to the Satanic Temple Ministries Religious Services. In each service, ministers of Satan discuss a single topic related to Satanic religious life. Services are held twice a week on Tuesday and Saturday. For more information, go to satanicministry.com. We'll be doing a tandem service tonight, and we are your ministers, Nomad North Star Phoenix. And and Dr. Reverend Sarah St. Abaddon. Today is the 12th of September in 2023, and our topic is Satanically Well. We'd like to go ahead and begin with our land acknowledgement. So I'd like to state that I'm zooming in from the ancestral and unceded land of the Seminole, Calusa, Miccosukee, and Muscogo peoples, currently known as colonized Gulf Coast of Florida. And I'm zooming in from the land between the tribes that is now known as colonized York, Pennsylvania. Let's start today's service off with our invocation. Let us stand now unbowed and unfettered by arcane doctrines born of fearful minds in darkened times. Let us embrace the Luciferian impulse to eat of the tree of knowledge and dissipate our blissful and comforting delusions of old. Let us demand that individuals be judged for their concrete actions and not their fealty to arbitrary social norms or illusory categorizations. Let us reason our solutions with agnosticism in all things, holding fast only to that which is demonstrably true. Let us stand firm against any and all arbitrary authority that threatens the personal sovereignty of one or all. That which will not bend must break, and that which can be destroyed by truth should never be spared its demise. It is done. Hail Satan. And our declamation this evening, I'd like to talk a little bit about what I mean by satanically well. Um, when I talk a little bit about, uh, you know, claiming our power to conquer life str struggles using 10 and 5, right? And when I'm talking about claiming my satanic power, the concept of power of for versus force is one of the most important distinctions I can make. The definitions of power and force are closely related in the scientific sense, but yet in a social sense are at odds, yet still connected. Force from a, you know, this is the scientific definition, is the fundamental result of an interaction between two objects, while power is the expression of energy consumed over time or work of which force is an element. Force and power can both be described and measured, but a force is an actual physical phenomenon, whereas power itself is not. Both work and power depend on force and displacement. However, only power depends on time. The amount of, uh, of work depends on an object that uh, has nothing to do with the amount of time it takes to do that work. So power is inversely related to time. Simply put, Power is something that can be expressed in the physical world as violence, aggression, or, or even oppression. Not always negative, but often used in the negative ways and often causes great harm to ourselves and to others. Examples of force could be uh, insisting that we believe on some bullshit sky daddy for comfort rather than to implore our own use of will and, uh, and uh, to use reason to feel secure. Power on the, oh, never mind. <laughs> I will mind it. How about that? So that was a little bit about force. So now let's talk about power. Power, on the other hand, is something that comes from within and is expressed on the physical level in so many different ways. It can be a show of force, but it's not inherently so or always the case. More 
more often than not, it's an expression of one's innate wills, desires, and needs. To claim one's power is to take control over the forces in one's life and direct them to create the intended outcome. To be powerful is satanic as fuck. Power is a display of the ability to walk away from religious dogma and employ our own sense of self. From a more practical sense, this is how I am using the terms power and force to express the modes through which we can employ change in our own lives and become satanically well. So let's go ahead and get started with our panel for the night. We have an amazing lineup and, oh wait, just kidding. Uh, Northstar and I are so confused tonight. We are very tired and very old. Please pardon us. First of all, let's review Tenet 5 really quickly, since that is what we believe to be uh, tied to evidence-based practices. So Tenet 5, beliefs should conform to one's best scientific understanding of the world. One should take care never to distort scientific facts to fit one's beliefs. So we'd also like to go ahead and define what an evidence-based practice actually is. So the definition that we found is from a researcher whose last name is Dang. The uh, research was done in 2022. Evidence-based practices are a process used to review, analyze, and translate the latest scientific evidence. The goal is to quickly incorporate the best available research along with clinical experience and preference into practice so that we can make informed care decisions. Part of my satanic practice has been to take the evidence-based model and apply it to my own life, taking clinical research and applying it to my own cultural and personal practices to overcome various obstacles. While the concepts of power and force uh, bring rise to all sorts of ethical questions involving each of the tenants, for our purposes tonight, I'd like to focus on the aspects that arise in consideration 10 of 5. Evidence-based practices are both scientific and practical. They employ all the satanic qualities of the pursuit of knowledge. One example I have seen is in the work Gray Faction does in debunking pseudoscience that harms people. Evidence-based practices are also seen in research of all kinds, and evidence-based practices are what qualifies that research as valid. There are a wide array of evidence-based models that can be employed to enhance the pursuit of power and provide structure in, conquer in conquering our struggles. Sometimes when there isn't one, we can use the template of existing models to build a new framework that speaks to our own individual natures and serves a need we have. We are Satanists and falling into line and doing what we're told is not for us. However, we may be, we may be rebels, but we can have a cause. And so I'd like to kick off our discussion tonight by asking each, each person on the panel our first question. And what are some examples of power versus force dynamics in your own lives that have helped or hindered the use of evidence-based practices and how have you handled that? Any takers? Ah, Morganti. If you would, take it away, please. Okay, fine. I'll go first. Uh, so my uh, my answer on this one, um, for those of you who don't know, I'm actually uh, studying marine biology for my degree right now. So one big thing uh, that I struggle with sometimes is uh, having those scientific uh, discussions about, like, you know, 
deep sea fishing methods and you know, whale populations and things like that. And so it's sometimes a struggle to separate uh, my emotions on some of those things and then trying to like stay with the scientific record of what's going on. Because if you've ever talked to a scientist, they can get really passionate really fast. And it's really, it's, it's vitally important, at least from my perspective, if we need to stay within you know, like what we can scientifically back up versus going, you know, I think everyone should stop eating tuna like is, you know, we need to stop fishing for tuna, like, you know, something like that. Um, it's, we need to try to stay within that scientific pathway of what we can back up of what's more reasonable because you know, to tell people, you know, nobody eats seafood ever again, not a reasonable thing. <laughs> so I think it's important that we try to balance that like, in those scientific conversations of you can be emotional, but don't let emotion take over it. Thank you. Thank you so much, Morganti. Uh, I totally agree. Having like public policy based on some gut feeling is definitely not satanic. <laughs> Thank you so much. And Elaine, what you got for us tonight? Oh, okay. So just a brief content warning. My answer to this question does discuss the COVID-19 pandemic. So if that's something that may be upsetting, just know I'm going to discuss it. Okay. And so back when the COVID-19 pandemic first happened and we are still sort of in the stages of everything was sort of happening very quickly with the media and news and government setting up policies to help protect everyone. I was very much quickly drawn into and rad radicalized by the whole don't tread on me crowd where you know, there were people who were adamantly against masking and social distancing mandates and government getting involved. And I'm not going to summarize the entire pandemic. Um, people know what happened. And so because of the influence that unfiltered information can have on our lives, I think social media is a force we have to learn to coexist with. And I think we have to be careful as it can have power over our lives and decision-making. It can radicalize the most normal of individuals into believing crazy things. Um, and at that time, I was still in sort of a transitional period of my spirituality. I wasn't still Christian at the time, but I wasn't Satanist either. So I was sort of finding my way in the world. And so with the whole climate at the time, and almost all of our interaction with the rest of the world was online through social media. So you really, that's how we were all communicating with each other during the pandemic, since we couldn't really go anywhere. And so I think as Satanists, we should adhere to the fifth tenet to seek verified information and resist the undue influence of misinformation 
and disinformation that we're going to encounter on these platforms. And that's all I had to share on this one. Thank you so much, Elaine. Um, hail you, and I appreciate that. That definitely makes sense. And uh, thank you so much. And Reverend John, uh, what you got for us tonight? Good evening, Reverend John Aldrich. Um, I'm zooming in from stolen East Cherokee land, now, now known as Atlanta, Georgia. And um, maybe um, come to a surprise to some of y'all of where my my um, my personal experience may come to when it, the topic of you know religious dogma versus you know evidence based practices. Um, and I, I was like, well, should I talk about this? Because what I talk about all the time, but it just rings so true to me, and that, that definitely has to come down to the treatment of addiction recovery. Um, with you know, where does this where did this help me or hinder me? And when I was in a very lowest part of my life, I needed to, you know, I checked myself into a rehab. Um, I was really struggling um, and I was seeking help and it took a lot of courage to accept that help, right? And the evidence-based choice would be to seek help from a medical professional, right? Um, and I learned more about my addiction and how to manage it. But unfortunately, what also came with this treatment was the enforcement of a 12-step program. Um, I was presented that this was my only option. And which kind of was, and I went into um, recovery as a very avid atheist at the time, a very angry atheist. I wasn't a Satanist at the time, didn't know much about Satanism or anything like that. But I was forced to believe that I needed to get myself to be at least loosely agnostic to start. Um, I was being told that I had to fake it till I make it. Um, I had to get on my knees and pray every morning. And this was, again, at a rehab center where I was seeking medical assistance for a medically related issue. Um, and when you're in those treatment centers and everyone around you is getting better, Right there, like I, I will never deny that twelve step continues to and has helped a lot of people, but it also doesn't work for everybody. But when I'm surrounded by rooms full of people all saying the same thing and seeing people actually get better, which I never thought was even possible for myself, and I'm just terrified of going back to the previous life I had. It was it was felt like it was my only choice is to follow suit and follow the path that everyone in front of me was doing. Over time, this really created a big struggle within myself. Right? I was doing the fake it, but and I was getting sober, but at a great cost. Right? I was having creating um, religious trauma through my recovery on myself. Um, you know, everyone around me is talking about having these spiritual awakenings and having this constant contact with our higher power. And I'm regularly talking to my, my sponsors at the time and my, my therapist at the time, but I, I wasn't having that. Like I wasn't having those spiritual awakenings. Um, I couldn't understand this higher power thing, no matter how many times I've tried. And I kept being told if I don't figure it out, I was doomed to relapse. That if my way of thinking, if I knew what was best for me, I wouldn't be here right now. So that struggle, you know, of evidence-based practices, you know, science, versus faith 
um, was a was really tricky for me to navigate in early recovery because I was getting faith as my only solution from a scientific source. Right? I'm seeking medical attention and getting told that faith is the only prescription that I can check out on. Um, and, you know, there could be a lot said, you know, statistically or evidence. There could, there's a lot of evidence that 12 steps has helped a lot of people. But there's also a lot of evidence that it can hurt a lot of people as well. Um, so there's that fine line of where, where, when is something an ev- evidence-based practice and when is it not? Because you can, you, can, you can easily skew a statistic one way or another to serve your narrative. But I'll, I'll stop on my tangent for there. Um, I can have other things to say. I'll save for other, uh, the other questions. But um, when it comes to was I helped or hindered in this, um, there's definitely a large part of my life that I'm still working on um, that was very hindered um, due to you know, the, the dynamics of power versus force in society. Thank you so much, John. Uh, I can like second all of that, especially the whole like, fake it till you can make it and pray about it nonsense that I got the same thing. Um, you know, like what I ended up doing was faking it till I couldn't take it. And then I would quit and then I would relapse and it just <laughs> didn't work um, for me at all. And, um, you know, I, I really like what you had to say about what is evident, you know, what is evidence-based practices? That's a really awesome question. Um, you know, when, when you get into what is quote unquote evidence, like, is it just statistics? Like, I'm not so sure that that, uh, you know, is, is the only way to look at things because as you said, like statistics are easily, easily, uh, skewed. Um, it just depends what your sample is and how you look at that, um, and how you want to, you know, you know, range the, what, um, the different things in there. So anyway, um, but thank you so much for your share. Um, I can definitely 100% relate to that. And uh, thank you so much. Okay, for our second question tonight, we'd like to ask the panel, how has the lack of evidence-based practices being employed in the world around you affected your life? We'll start with Shannon, please. Figured it would be uh, kind of a good way to talk about both this first point and the second point. But I am going to go back and talk a little bit more about the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, I spend most of my day doing science in some capacity as it relates to virology and epidemiology. So when we consider some of the misinformation that was circulating during the COVID-19 pandemic that was you know, just briefly discussed earlier, the things on social media, the way that science was being weaponized in some ways by different political parties, that affected my job um, and my regular daily life. You know, it, work was much more. There were so many more things we needed to do to create the evidence to understand something that was brand new and was spreading wildly, to understand what we needed to develop the right kind of vaccines, who was at risk why these people were at risk. And these are things we don't have all the answers to right now still. And it's been ongoing ever since then. So for I'd say the last three-ish years, this lack of evidence-based decision on how to respond to a proper pandemic has been affecting the way that I work. It means that my friends and family needed more support to understand what was real and what was fake and what they should trust and 
what stupid things were being said and what stupid things weren't actually fake. Um, it really highlighted the need for resources and, and a way to help people understand what is pseudoscience and what is just false and what is what is real, what makes something eligible to be used for evidence-based decisions in the first place. Um, and I think that that's, that's been big for me because I've just been living in this COVID world of trying to create this evidence and trying to stay on top of all the new things that we're learning and sort through the bullshit. Thank you so much. I can't imagine being in that position just because as somebody who enjoys research and evidence-based research and evidence-based practices, I can't imagine actually literally being a scientist through all of that and watching it unfold in the way it did. COVID never went away. We are on an uptick again, though, as I'm sure everybody's aware. So, um, Satan bless you, Shannon. Satan bless you. It's coming back full force. No power there, just full force. <laughs> Elaine, please. Okay. So, for me, with, uh, the topic I'll discuss is on, sorry, I was totally losing my train of thought there. Um, okay. So, can you come back to me? I'm so sorry. Yeah, of course. That's totally okay. Also, I have to say when that happens on services, I kind of low-key love it because it is like just so authentically human. And I know I was in the chat last week and I said that when it happened, but like there's something that just is just so fucking satanic about being like, I have no clue what I'm saying and please help. So thank you, Elaine. We will come back to you when you catch your thought. We'll go with more Gandhi until then, please. All right, and uh, likewise, my answer is also going to touch on COVID. Uh, so lack of evidence-based practice. Um, I attend college in Florida. I could talk for a week on all of the fun things about that. Uh, my college is currently in the midst of a uh, conservative takeover, so that's fun. Um, uh, something that I uh, dealt with just uh, middle of last week, um, we had a uh, had a job fair on campus, and uh, somebody that I know on campus, like I've I've worked around them before, so like you know, we we know each other. Um, it was almost surreal because you know she's sitting there telling me about how it's been such a struggle for her to be othered, and you know people don't agree with her viewpoint, so it's been it's just been so difficult for her um the irony in this is she has that little dainty gold cross necklace on and I had to refrain from rolling my eyes out loud because I'm like we made this space for us to get away from this viewpoint and you come in here and you go why don't you like me um yeah, because my school is a research school. We, we do research and, you know, we're being bombarded with, you know, we need to have prayer and we need to have the pledge and we need to have all these things. And 
they can't understand why they're getting pushback now because everyone who's writing thesis reports are going, I don't have time for that. <laughs> um, and you know, going into the, the COVID thing, uh, so in the midst of COVID, my uh, grandfather passed away due, due to cancer, like he, he was old age and cancer, like he, you know, we knew it was coming. Uh, so I traveled home. Uh, I don't live in my home state. Uh, so I traveled home and you know, I show up and I'm wearing a mask and everyone's like, why are you wearing that you know, face diaper? How dare you get that off? We're all family. And I'm like, I, I haven't been around yet. I don't know where y'all been. Y'all don't know where I've been. How about just let me wear my mask? You, you don't have to wear yours and I'll wear mine. Um, I was home for about a week. Um, my, my grandfather did pass away, which we were anticipating. Uh, 10 days later, my uncle, who is my grandfather's son, uh, was in line to be on, put on a ventilator because he had COVID and he passed away before he could get to the ventilator. Um, so I had to fly next day home for you know the second funeral in two weeks. And you know, I show up and I wore a thicker mask <laughs> because uh, we determined that somebody at my grandfather's funeral had to have had COVID because six of my family members got COVID within days. And so I show up wearing like an industrial strength mask. And even then, like we're at a second funeral and people are like, "How? why, why are you wearing this mask still? Like, well, um, we're at a funeral because of this. Just, just maybe look around. <laughs> it was, um, and, you know, of course, my family being my family, they you know, were just, you know, eye rolling that how dare I wear a mask around family members when I live literally a thousand miles away from them. So it was just, you know, it, it was just mind boggling that you know, they were so resistant to, to looking at the evidence of, you know, 10 days ago, everyone was healthy. Now people who have tested positive for COVID are at this funeral for somebody who passed away of COVID and y'all are wondering why I'm wearing a mask. So yeah, it's, it, it, it's, this has been one hell of a three year stretch. <laughs> um, so, but that is my skill on that and I will go to the next question. I'm so sorry to hear the stories about your family, Morganti, and it is really a true show of how difficult it can be to interact with people who don't follow those evidence-based practices and the difficulty and ruptures that that can cause in other places for other people who are research-driven and are following those practices. So I'm I'm so sorry to hear that that's happened, and um, that's exactly why we follow tenet five in our religion and wish so deeply that other people would embrace the same. Uh, Reverend John, please. Thank you. Um, so my, my answer to question one kind of touched on question two as well. Um, but another area of my life that um, the lack of evidence-based practice is being employed. Um, I feel a lot of it comes down to also just lack of communication of like factual health and wellness in, in our society. 
Um, this was a big impact for with my struggles. Um, I, I want to talk a bit, uh, slight trigger warning for anybody listening. We'll talk a bit about struggles with food and eating disorder. Um, when that subject comes up for a lot of people in their lives, and rarely is it looked at with a medical mindset, but more of a societal, social mindset. Um, when more times than not, when in my life, it was always presented with diet culture um, was a solution for my struggles with food. And that's well, after several years, after a few years of um, being sober from uh, substances and not fully having a great uh, evidence-based practice behind me in my full recovery, um, I did find a new outlet, right? And that was a over control or lack of control when it came to uh, my relationship with food. Um, and that was heavily enforced by media and society of losing weight good, less food good, diet good, uh, diet, diet, diet. Um, and that triggered this sense in myself um, that was hitting those levels of my dopamine where I was able to lose weight rapidly. Um, and I was cheered on for it, right? Cheered on by my doctors, cheered on like, oh yeah, you're looking great. Losing weight is so good for you. Um, great for how you're doing. Um, and if it's ever the other way, people are like, oh, you've gained some weight. You may want to work on that. Um, without society ever even taking it at the lens of recognizing that this was a struggle with my self-destructive patterns with addiction. Um, and it took a long time for me to recognize that in myself. And I think if there was just more conversation and education on, on people's relationships with food, because um, it, was, it was a big change for me because I, I won at that point in my life, I learned how to quit something. Right? I learned how to quit something and move forward. But quitting eating was part of my problem. So I couldn't just get rid of food. I couldn't, I had to learn this whole new scope of what does eating disorder mean? Um, I didn't want to believe that I had a struggle with that because of society, like stigma and society and what, you know, the picture of what eating disorder looks like didn't fit the picture of what I looked like. And I didn't think I um, belonged in that category. Um, but I feel if where there was more open dialogue with people of people openly struggling with their relationships with food, connecting it with other mental health issues um, and talking about it not always as a social, um, I'm losing my train of thought, but more with a science-based approach with that struggle with it instead of just always promoting weight loss as always a positive. I can't tell you the amount of friends who I've heard um, who are struggling with eating disorder, who are struggling with gaining weight and then going to the doctor and the doctor cheers them on because they've lost five, four pounds. Um, when that's the complete opposite of what they're going for, for their own mental well-being. So I think um, that that was another way of the lack of evidence-based practices uh, has made an impact in my life. Thank you, Reverend John. And I feel like that is a really difficult one and I appreciate you bringing that up. That is something that I feel like is so different from person to person and it makes it really hard to have a like very regimented evidence-based practice surrounding something like that um, because like as we know the BMI chart is way outdated and 
not very valid anymore. So like, where is the evidence-based practice and something like that? It seems like it's so driven by Hollywood, for example, and that's kind of the model that people are using to base things on. I feel like over time we are seeing that dynamic shift, which is fantastic. And hopefully we continue to see that and it makes it better overall. And hopefully there is some evidence-based practice that's solidified around that for people to be able to live more satanically well or minus the satanically sometimes, I suppose. Elaine, are you ready for us? Yes, I am. Okay. So back to my train of thought. I want to talk about being transgender and how a lack of evidence-based practices affects my community. And so if we've paid any attention to media, there are laws being passed or attempted to be passed every day, which seem to restrict pretty ordinary actions, such as trying to say which bathrooms we should use, whether we should get access to medical care. And it's making the job of providers very difficult. And this is all because of a we're not using evidence-based practices to address the very real issue that we do have people who identify as a different gender than they were born as. And so we have to make changes to our society to accommodate for these people, myself included. And it's more just a reason why and showcases why evidence-based practices are so important. And yeah, so with all the different policies being passed, I think we need to be very careful and think about how we can use what science teaches us when making these policies that affect not only transgender people, but also cisgender women who, who present as more masculine. The policies affect everyone and we need to take a step back and look at what science says. Absolutely. Thank you so much for bringing up that topic in particular, because as a Floridian, um, the rights of transgender people are so incredibly under attack in every way possible. And it's never, ever through the use of evidence-based practice or scientific reasoning or logic. And it is so excruciatingly difficult to watch. So the more voices we can get speaking up about stuff like this and loudly saying it's not okay is absolutely going to make a huge difference in the long run. So thank you so much for that. And um, so for our third question, what are some challenges in your life that evidence-based practices has allowed you to overcome and what types of practices have you used to do that? Elaine, what you got for us tonight? Okay, back to me again so quickly. Um, 
So evidence-based practices have actually helped me a lot. What's more recent medical research in hormone replacement therapy has allowed me to live as authentically me. And I think that's part of what the fifth tenet means to me is using science to be able to live out our authentic lives. Um, here. I don't really have a super long answer to this, just that medical science has come a really long way to improve the lives of transgender people. And it is helpful. And I think we should encourage the use of what modern medical technology has to give us. And we shouldn't pass policies to prevent it. But uh, that's all for me. Thank you so much, Elaine. I agree 100%. Um, you know, whatever. Um, well, actually, it's interesting. A, a friend of mine, uh, Chloe, was telling me the other day that they think that um, transgender folks shouldn't exist. And I was like, whoa, that's fucked up. And then um, they described to me a little bit more because they are transgender. So I was really confused when they first said this to me. And they were like, really, what we need is is a way to identify folks who are who might feel that way and not misgender them in the first place. And I was like, rad, really fucking rad. I was like, I like that. That was pretty cool. So I, I, I just thought it was like a kind of a mind blow for me a little bit. I was like, I hadn't really considered that as a thing like but if we could get that get to that point in our scientific practices but we're not going to get there if uh if there are policies and things being put in place that are preventing folks from being their true and authentic selves and i just uh it, it makes me really sad to think that we're living in a world we're tending to go backwards and uh, it's just it's not a world i want to live in and it's somewhere it's something that i i intend to like fight with every ounce of my being um you know because we deserve to be able to be who we are and not have someone else try and tell us that that's wrong for some reason or whatever. And um, hail you, Elaine. Thank you so much. And Shannon, what you got for us tonight? Um, there's a lot of things I could say, but for the sake of not speaking for 14 straight weeks, um, there are so many things that I have learned just from the use of the scientific literature and understanding how to find it, how to interpret it, what's usable, what the difference between a preprint that might be cited in a media article versus a peer-reviewed article that should be used to lobby for certain policies means. Um, so there are very few things that happen in my life where I don't go, let me PubMed that real quick and see what I can find. Um, and when family and friends ask about medical things they might be experiencing, I can at least have enough of an understanding of what they're going through to help them navigate some of the difficult questions they have that they were sent home with. Um, there's, I mean, there's a lot. And when, when John mentioned uh, eating disorder things earlier, that's reminded me of quite a few other things that I've had to search the PubMed for and 
figure out how to navigate and how to advocate for myself at appointments and how to ask questions in a way that someone won't just dismiss me or tell me, oh, don't worry about it. Just, just lose some weight for, for other things as well. Wow. Thank you so much. That's amazing. Like to be able to help folks with that. Um, I wish I had a family member like that, that could like help me advocate these things. Um, and honestly, I'm, I'm glad you had mentioned uh, PubMed because like, that's genuinely what I do, but I, I don't even, I'm, I have I'm not a medical professional. When I try to like source through these things. And since, you know, we were talking about eating disorders, my son's kind of struggling with that. And I've been trying like to try and find ways to help them uh, deal with it. And, uh, it's, it's not been an easy, it's not been an easy, uh, task at all, um, trying to navigate things like that. And thank you so much for being, you know, being a resource to help people, uh, you know, navigate these spaces, um, because it is, it can be for, you know, someone without a, a medical background, it, it's really confusing to try and figure it out. And, um, I, I feel like there's not enough, there's not enough, um, education out there for general, for the general public to really understand that doesn't like make us completely paranoid like you know every time i try to use something like uh um what's that w website i can't think of it now but uh, you search like i have this symptom and it like tells you you have like pancreatic death cancer and like your your brain is going to fall out and you know it, i'm like oh god i'm going to die and it's like oh wait actually if i take a tylenol this like goes away but like that's the thing like i don't know what i'm searching for so i end up getting this like whole anxiety attack over absolutely nothing um but like hail you for being able to like take a moment and like help someone understand these things because these are complicated things and without the, you know the the understanding we can't use the tools properly. And, and, uh, thank you so much for that. And Morganti, what you got for us tonight? Okay. Uh, I do want to give a trigger warning. My answer is going to include self-harm. So if you need to meet while I am talking now, now it would be that time. Um, so for me, it was, you know, discovering that transgender was even a word, uh, because in my growing up, that was not even a, a topic. We weren't going to talk about it. it. Being trans didn't exist. Um, and so I, I you know, discovered that, you know, transgender was even a word, that transgender people existed. And, you know, I started, you know, doing some research because I was to say miserable was is an understatement um and like i even resisted that for a while i was just like well you know maybe i'm just maybe i'm just a a tomboy maybe like you know surely uh, surely i'm not a whole nother gender like i would know right um that's like i you know i was digging into things and you know, reading articles and research and you know watching videos and all of the things um and in doing a lot of that research, like I was drawn more aware of how miserable I was in my life uh, because my life did not look like I wanted it to. And I was trying desperately to make my life look like what I was being told it should look like. And, you know, you know, just, you know get the husband and the dog and the white picket fence and your life will be perfect. Um, it wasn't. And it finally got to a point where like I had to have a conversation with myself and it was like, okay, if I do not make a change, 
a drastic change. I am not going to be on this earth anymore. Like, I, I am at that point. And, you know, you know obviously I'm here. So, uh, you know, you know, started transitioning and, you know, and, and in going down that route, you know, I discovered, you know, I am polyamorous, I'm queer, I'm trans, I'm a Satanist, I mean, I'm, I'm all of these fun things that my family think I'm all going to help for each individual one. So that's great. Um, but yeah, it's, yeah, sometimes you read things and you're like, huh, that's, that's new. And it takes you down a whole nother path that you had no idea was, was going to be in your route. But when you, when you, Look into evidence and you do your research, you got to be ready for some surprises sometimes. Thank you so much for sharing that with us, Morganti. Um, that can be a heavy, heavy thing to have to deal with. Um, I can only imagine. And um, I find it odd that, like, we've kind of, as a culture, come to a point where we can, like, accept different genders. But, like, many cultures throughout time, you know, many, many cultures throughout history have identified multiple genders, definitely more often than not, more than three or more. And um, I find it strange that only now it's like we're just finally, like, rediscovering these things about ourselves, that it's it's not a brand new experience uh for the for the case of humanity right this is this is a part of of the puzzle of humanity of what it means to be human um figuring out who we are and i've and i i think it's amazing that um we're finally getting to that place in this um in the country in the way that we are that we can have these conversations and we can share our experiences and understand um and i um I, i really hope that you know, that's something that you can get to with your family. Maybe they can at some point stop being such assholes and just love you for you. Like you deserve that. And um, I, I really hate, I hate hearing that um, so many folks get, you know, tried to forced into some box that someone else has defined, like, but we're Satanists and we don't need that box. We rip that box to shreds and we say, fuck that. I don't need a box. Like, take your box and shove it, whatever we want to say, you know? And like, uh, and that's like certain ways. That's like, that's like how we can like claim our power in, in those moments when we proclaim I am me, you know, um, that is, that is truly like claiming our power and like, you're doing that in such a great way. And uh, thank you for being such an amazing example for all of us. Oh, yeah, definitely. Thank you all for your excellent answers on that. That was amazing. Uh, so the next question we have for you tonight is, how has the use of power informed your satanic practice? And what does that look like for you? We'll start with Reverend John, please. Thank you so much. I was, my answer kind of ties the previous question and this one together. And um how has my life changed from these things and how has it become part of my satanic practice? Um, having a community that is sober faction has absolutely completely changed my life and gave me a new meaning for lack of a corny sounding word, new meaning of my satanic practice. Um, through having a program that is evidence-based and uses CBT, DBT and self-empowerment, I've learned infinitely more about myself and who I am and what different things mean to me. I learned that 
substance use disorder isn't a moral failing, right? And I wasn't alone in that through community and people embracing science and being not being told to prey on it. I learned that struggles with eating disorder isn't about weight at all. It has nothing to do with weight. It's about my feelings and coping and being myself and learning who I am and finding that balance within myself. Through therapy and community and empowerment it had nothing to do with the scale, um, which I was so hyper-focused on that because that's the way I was taught. Having the, I think one thing I love the most about Satanism in my, in my own experience, and I could be wrong. I could be, I will go ahead and say this. I could be very, I could be wrong. But from what I know, it's the only religion that I have, that I have found that truly embraces self-discovery and self-exploration without shame or guilt. To look within yourself and embrace whatever it is you find and find ways to change the parts about yourself that you're uncomfortable with, right? Like to, I've learned so many different ways to really find who I am through science, through community and through satanic belief. I, I've, I've learned how that, you know, um, you know, we've joked over time that TST makes you queer right? <laughs> because I've learned to, how to fully embrace that and what that means for me. Um, I've, from the beginning, I've been able to use the seven tenets as a really grounding exercise, not just, when I first read the seven tenets, I was just thought, oh, these are kind of like just rules to not be a dick. But as my practice continued, it really developed much deeper meaning of who am I and how can I continue what my will is in this world? Um, you know, one should strive to act with compassion and empathy toward all creatures in accordance with reason. I had to recognize that I myself am included in all creatures, right? It wasn't always just about me being kind to everyone, but I also had to learn how to be kind to myself. I had to reflect on myself, what does justice look like for me? And why is it an ongoing pursuit? And what does that mean for me like right now? What does that mean for me today? You know, you know, tenant three, we normally comes up in the topic of uh, bodily autonomy, but also in a reflective sense, I try to reflect on, am I living in accordance with my will? Am I doing what I want with my life and my greater goals? Is this, is, does, is what I'm doing in life serving me? And I can go through each tenant. Um, I don't want to take up everyone's time. Um, but it's completely changed my perspective on things. I've, if you would have told me five years ago that I would have been ordained minister promoting a new recovery program and talking about it, I told you were fucking nuts, right? Um, but here I am. I'm fucking loving my life. I'm embracing who I am and celebrating it and not shamed about being someone in recovery, but being proud of being someone in recovery. Um, and, and feeling loved and embraced for the first times in my life. Um, that, and that's thanks to finding what a satanic practice with evidence, with evidence behind it has really been for me. An astounding hail Reverend John. We fucking love him. He is the director of the Satanic Temple Sober Faction, if that wasn't clear after his statement. And he has, um, just done such a phenomenal job and is running an evidence-based satanic program. And it's fucking phenomenal. 
So thank you so much, Reverend Johns. Very much appreciated. Morganti, please. Uh, I will also uh, echo the Hail Sober Faction. It's fucking awesome. Uh, so use of power uh, in my satanic practice. Uh, I was actually having a conversation today on campus about this. Um, but I, I have a satanic club on my campus and you know, it's, it's had some drama, if you can be surprised at that. But, um, you know, when, in the conversation I was having today, you know, I, I kind of pointed out that, you know, me forming my club was offensive and, you know, something I posted on my club page was offensive and, you know, all of these things. And people are like, well, can't you just only post your club meetings? Don't post all this other, other stuff on your, on your stuff. And, you know, I kind of had to come to them and be like, okay, if, if me forming my club was offensive and me being here is offensive, then I don't really have any choice but to be offensive because I'm here. I'm not leaving. I'm not transferring out. I'm also not blatantly hurting anybody. Like I'm, I'm not targeting anybody. I'm not calling people out. I'm, posting satanic things on my satanic club page uh if you're mad i'm sorry you're mad but don't follow my page if it's going to make you mad um and so you know in basically becoming the campus menace you know people have realized that you don't have to agree with me i i don't care if you don't agree with me but i'm gonna be myself Thank you so much, Morganti. And yeah, a big hail fucking yes to being your authentic self because that's satanic as fuck. Okay, everyone. So we're going to do a quick lightning round for number five. Um, if you could give any advice to the folks watching this tonight on how to use evidence-based practices to enhance their own power, what would you tell them? And Shannon. Evidence is important, but there is a lot of it. Um, it can feel really overwhelming to look through evidence for anything. Um, don't be afraid to ask for help when you're trying to navigate certain things. Um, and do your best to really understand the sources that you're citing. Um, you know, there, there are, there's a lot of crap out there that looks like it's real and is presented in such a way that could be pretty believable. So just do your best, give yourself the opportunity to, to flounder and uh, don't give up. Hail you, Shannon, thank you so much for that. And Morganti, what you got for us? Uh, so very similar to what Shannon was saying and I'll expand on that. Uh, when you're doing your research and you're, and you're looking into these things, don't be afraid to be wrong. Like, it, you know, you can read something and you can go, I was way off about that. It's okay to be wrong. Like, we're, we're human. We don't know everything. We can't know everything. Um, so yeah, like if you read something and it takes you off tangent, definitely look into it, make sure it is, you know, 
viable information. It's not you know, some red herring, but sometimes you have to be like, yeah, I was, I was just wrong on that. So don't be afraid to be wrong. That's awesome. Definitely. Uh, that brings to mind another tenant, but that's another day. And Reverend John, what you got for us tonight? Thank you. Uh, Morganti took what exactly I was going to say, and I'll just uh, elaborate further. Um, don't be scared to be wrong. Um, being wrong is an opportunity to learn. Um, and it's scary, right? Because I think a lot of us as Satanists, we, we like to really hold true to our ideals for good reason. We're all extremely friggin' passionate people. Um, and we like going against the grain. Um, so try not to live in an echo chamber sometimes, right? And I, I found myself in that a lot. Um, challenge, challenge your, allow, allow people to challenge your perspectives and allow yourself the, the, that moment of self-reflection. Um, like what if, like, what if, what if what I'm, what I'm perceiving isn't, isn't what, what is logical? Um, I had another part, but I lost where I was going. <laughs> um, and allow yourself to truly find what is comfortable for you. Um, allow yourself to navigate who you are because your truth is your truth, right? And try not to let other people dictate that for you um, because there's nothing more satanic than finding who you are and striving for self-growth. And that can sometimes be being wrong about something. So uh, thank you. Hail you, John. Thank you so much. And the cool thing about being wrong is when you find out you're wrong, just change that. Like, no big deal. Like, it's rad. Um, and uh, thank you so much for that. Um, and it does look like we are uh, at, uh, it looks like we're at the, about the top of the hour for our service. And I'd like to thank you all for, and for uh, in the audience for spending this time with us to explore being satanically well. I'd like to finish by pausing so we can take a moment to think about the satanic power that we have within us and to use 10 of 5 to employ evidence-based practice to live well.